open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Sunday morning, studying the book of Proverbs together. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, just flag one of these guys that are coming down the aisle right now with Bibles. They're relatively harmless, and they'll get a Bible to you, and it'll be marked to our passage here that we're studying today. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible uh, a gift from the Lord to you today. Make it your own. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the opening of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke, and surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called and you have refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind uh, when distress and anguish comes upon you. And then they shall call on me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your love for us, and thank you for the firm foundation that we're able to build our lives on in this life and in eternity upon Jesus himself. Thank you that he is the anchor that holds through all of it. We thank you for your word, Lord, and the privilege of being able to build our lives upon it, upon your truth, and to know that we are building an unshakable foundation in our lives and in your word that whatever the storms, however great they might come, the winds blowing, that the house will stand. And so we stand today, Lord, so thankful for the work of your Holy Spirit through your word and all of that. Would you bless us in taking these words off of the printed page and bringing them into a working daily part of our understanding of you, your ways, and a part of our lives. And we ask for this work of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The theme of the book of Proverbs is the theme of wisdom, and it instructs us on how to live our lives wisely, wisely being to live our lives in a way that they are a blessing to God, that they are a blessing to our fellow man. We want to be a blessing to our fellow man. And it is to be able to live a life that is also a blessing to uh, ourselves. And so uh, the book of Proverbs uh, accomplishes that. It provides us with the wisdom to live such a life and to live it not in some ivory tower somewhere, but to live it in the nitty-gritty of life, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, as we talk about it within our culture. 
Last week we began our study uh, of this book in verses 1 through 7, and King Solomon, by the Holy Spirit, provided us with a description of the blessings of God's wisdom, the blessings that come into our lives uh, through His wisdom, and then uh, the motivation uh, for uh, uh, living a life consistent with His wisdom, and that is uh, the fear of the Lord. Now in verses 20 through 33, and we'll come back, God willing, next week into verses 8 through, uh, through 19, but in verses 20 to 33, uh, Solomon emphasizes the fact that God's wisdom exists in the world, uh, and that God's wisdom is continually calling upon mankind to come uh, to it. And uh, while it makes that continual call, it also makes uh, very clear to us that that call is largely ignored, and, uh, but that it will provide a great blessing to those who uh, choose to go against the stream and uh, will make it the foundation of, of their lives and part of our relationship with God. I want you to notice, first of all, in verses 20 to 23, you notice wisdom's lonely cry to mankind and offering God's wisdom to them and offering God's wisdom to us. Here in this section of chapter 1 and then later on in chapter 8, we notice that Solomon personifies wisdom. That is, he represents God's wisdom here as a human figure, uh, namely a woman. And he does so in order to present uh, how God's wisdom operates in the world in a way that we can understand and get our uh, minds around. And, uh, and, and so that personification allows that to happen. It allows us to, to um, get, in, uh, get into the mind of wisdom as it's endeavoring to uh, impart itself to the world and then to see the obstacles that wisdom faces and then uh, the blessings that uh, come with people turning to it. And so wisdom is given a voice and uh, the ability to speak for herself, and we get to see the world's response to her, and, uh, and uh, which she describes here. The scene is given in verses 20 to 21, and to me, this is a, really a sad part of those t- these verses here, the sad part of the book of Proverbs. When I see her wisdom personified, and I see the loneliness of her life, uh, the loneliness of her existence. And I think it's one of the saddest passages in the whole Bible, uh, this making clear the existence of God's wisdom in the world is unfortunately a very lonely existent by and large. But it never keeps her from continuing to call mankind to her because wisdom never loses sight of the fact, no matter how many people adhere to her or reject her, that the greatest need of mankind is for uh, God's wisdom. And so she cries out uh, 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 aloud outside, we're told in verse uh, 20, so her wisdom isn't reserved for the temple or the synagogue or uh, for the church alone. They aren't the only places that wisdom's voice can be uh, heard in life. Verse 20, she raises her voice in the open squares. The open squares within an ancient city was kind of the quieter parts of a city where people would come together and nurture relationship and uh, friendship, and her voice is 
uh, found there. In verse 21, she cries out in the chief concourses and uh, think uh, in the ancient world there would be these places associated with cities where all of the roads would converge. They would be the most congested uh, part of a city. If you wanted to reach the the biggest part of the population on a daily basis, you would park yourself uh, right there and declare your message. So think uh, Briggsmore and Highway 99 uh, for our uh, uh, application, just the sheer number of people that pass through that little bit of square footage uh, on a daily uh, basis. She cries out, verse 21, at the opening of the gates in the city. And the gates of the city represented the chief marketplace uh, of a city, kind of an ancient bazaar for buying and selling. It was also the place where uh, the elders of the city would uh, conduct what were essentially court cases or court hearings and justice would uh, be dispensed. And so here she is, Uh, crying out to business, crying out to the justice system, crying out to the political centers of man to take heed to her. And so the idea here is, we come away with it, is that she cries out to everyone. Uh, She she is reaching out to every single uh, human being uh, in the world, and she reaches out to us where we are, Uh, in life. And so she doesn't keep her wisdom uh, a secret, unlike some of the ancient religions and some religions today where there are these progressive moves. You keep these rituals, you do these things, and then you move up and you gain more knowledge and wisdom is revealed uh, to you progressively, or wisdom is dispensed on the basis of uh, intellect or on the basis of talent or education or life experience or some kind of having some kind of a mystical bent or uh, toward God. Her wisdom, God's wisdom, is available to everyone. And because God's wisdom is available to everyone and she makes it known, uh, as a result, man's problems, whether they are national, whether they are international, whether they are individual, is not because wisdom does not exist or, or is not available to everyone who wants it, but simply because she is not heeded by and large uh, in the world. Uh, we notice uh, concerning her, we notice her sanctified boldness. She is absolutely unashamed about her message. She, she delivers God's wisdom without any hesitation that in some way it might be flawed or in some way that it might do ill toward anyone who heeds the wisdom that she is imparting. And, uh, and so she has this great, great confidence and, and she recognizes that what she declares to man is desperately needed by man and desperately needed by every single individual uh, human being. And so, and it's one of the great things for us as Christians to be able to share God's truth with people, his wisdom with people, and to know that as we do, we are never, ever doing any harm to them at all. And she has this kind of confidence, as you would expect, 
uh, related to God's wisdom. And I love that in the passage here, she declares it, she declares it lovingly, she declares it with clarity. Uh, there's no hand-wringing on her part. She has no concern about uh, to what degree it's going to be received by people. She's not concerned about woke culture or, or cancel culture or whatever culture is coming next. In this goofy country that we live in, she is confident in the need of man for her wisdom and that she possesses that, uh, that wisdom. And I think one of the things that we can wonder is how in the world does wisdom speak in the same way in kind of our modern world? Well, she certainly speaks first and foremost through the Bible. And we, we look at it and say, well, that's not a very effective way. Ah, but it's only because we don't think of it the way that God thinks of it. The fact that a Bible exists in human history, the fact that God uh, inspired it and gave it as a gift to mankind makes every single human being responsible to investigate it and to read it at some point in their lives. And to do so is going to come into contact with the purest uh, uh, form or expression of God's wisdom. Certainly wisdom speaks as uh, God's word is taught in countless uh, churches all around the world as is being done here uh, this morning. And then also through Christians who carry uh, the message of God's wisdom out into their families, out into the world in which we live in, all the different places that we go to uh, in the world. And then there is also the powerful witness to wisdom of the changed life of every single Christian. And whether we say anything or we don't say anything, the quality of life that God's wisdom produces stands out in stark contrast. We don't we owe it all to God. It's nothing for us to boast in it all. But the contrast with what the wisdoms of this world produce is, is so different and it's so noticeable that people will then look at it and say, the wisdom I'm under or the wisdom that's being foisted upon me in this culture does not produce that kind of human being. That kind of peace, that kind of joy, and the wisdom of, uh, it cries out through the changed lives of, of Christians. And then there is also the teaching of God's Word on online and on television and all the different ways that media uh, reach out to people today. And then wisdom also speaks through the observation of watching so many lives crash and burn that are lived in opposition to uh, God's wisdom and to see the casualty that they become as a result of that that then causes us to re-examine those same wisdoms in our own life and then to heed wisdom's voice uh, to turn to her. And then there's the witness of the Holy Spirit to God's wisdom in the conscience uh, of man and so forth. He the Holy Spirit or, the, or wisdom, she speaks with a loud voice even yet today. You notice her message in verses 22 and uh, 23. 
She challenges, in verse 22, the simple ones. And she asks them about how long they're going to love simplicity. Uh, There in verse 22, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And then she speaks of the scorners, for scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate uh, knowledge. And so, uh, this is known as clarity of speech. Uh, I I remember uh, when the church was downtown, we've been here now for 22 years, and, um, but when the church was downtown at lunchtime or whatever, I would walk through the downtown and, and different places. And there was this little odd little uh, basilite block building that was downtown. It caught, it caught my eye. I liked the look of it. And I went up to look inside the windows and there was a reception area inside of it. And then there was an office with a desk, two chairs, a, a, a filing cabinet, and then a side table, and all of it done in the uh, style of the 40s. Not because somebody went out and bought them, but because it was all bought in the 40s, and somebody was still using them. So there's this desk and two chairs, and then I looked uh, 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 prominently displayed on the wall behind the desk was a phrase, uh, be brief, be blunt, be gone. And I thought, that's an interesting person that puts that uh, up there. That's a person who wants clarity. Don't come in here and start talking until it's clear in your mind. And you can be brief and you can be blunt and then you can be gone. And, uh, and of course, if wisdom is going to speak, we need her to be blunt. We need her to be clear because she's talking about something that uh, we don't want to misunderstand in any way in our lives. It's vital that we understand it. The simple when, who is spoken about here refers to those who are uh, uh, morally uneducated in uh, life. And so they're ignorant in this regard. Uh, they have never really given any thought to God's wisdom, never given any uh, serious thought to uh, the life that they're uh, living or morality at all. Uh, they, it, they give no real thought at all to how they ought to live their life. They just wake up, their life is in front of them, and they just kind of do it on the basis of, of w- uh, whatever it is that they've seen in life. And so they, they are simple in that they haven't been instructed in, uh, in wisdom, God's wisdom, and they're doomed to become a casualty as a result of it. And, and the size of this group is very, very large, and it's growing exponentially in our state, the state of California, for instance, where every single effort is made to keep people from uh, infancy onward, not only from not giving any serious thought to uh, God or any serious thought to God's wisdom, but to keep them from ever coming into contact with God's wisdom uh, at, at all. And one of the problems with that, and there are a lot of problems with that, is that their ignorance of God's wisdom leaves them absolutely vulnerable to fall prey to all of the other so-called wisdoms uh, in, in life and being seduced by those things that are not wisdom at all, and then their lives become a casualty uh, as a, a result of it. And Wisdom's message to this type of person who she makes clear, I run into these people all the time. She only talks about three kinds of people. 
So I run into this group of people all the time. She's letting us see wisdom through her eyes, what she runs into in, in the human uh, condition. And her message to the simple person is simply, how long? And the idea behind that how long is, when are you going to grow up? And, and when it's time for you to grow up, how long are you going to stay in your uh, uh, simpleton condition uh, morally and, and not be morally educated by God? Well, today in our, uh, in our nation, there is significant concern over what is uh, called protracted adolescence or protracted prolonged adolescence. It and uh, something beca- when something becomes a problem, they give it a title. And so it's significant enough to at least get a title now. And the, and the concern is the, the fact that increasingly, what people used to learn in adolescence during their teenage years, in order to develop into adult life, and into adult life in which there is, it's marked by economic and social independence, that much of that is now being uh, learned in early adult life and, and even uh, beyond. It's, it's moved into that portion of people's lives. And increasingly, uh, for many, many reasons, uh, more and more people simply do not want to grow up. And, and you can throw stones and all those kind of things at it and analyze uh, all of it, but I think chief among them is that they have not been raised with God's wisdom. And they haven't, as a result, been raised with the confidence and the hope that only God's wisdom will produce in a human life. And now raised devoid of that wisdom as a culture and as a nation, of course life is going to look hopeless. Of course it's going to look frightening and daunting and it's going to look impossible to them. But grow up we must because life moves forward and God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs provides not only instruction morally about how to live, but it then imparts to us a confidence in our life that nothing else in the world can provide and that we desperately need at all times in our lives, but certainly as we're moving into adult life and beyond. Lady Wisdom in verse 22 also challenges a second group that she has obviously very broad experience with in the human condition, and that is the scorner. The scorner who delights in their scorning. So the scorner is is the person who mocks any idea of wisdom that is not their own. And most especially, they mock the idea of uh, God's wisdom. Now, uh, scorn is a a characteristic or the, the mark of uh, the arrogant or, or the proud, where they consider themselves to be uh, superior to others and, and so far above others that they don't consider the thoughts of other people or the input of even God worthy of any kind of serious consideration on their part 
anything but their wisdom is only worthy of their scorn. And so they dismiss uh, all other wisdoms, even the wisdom of God, with a wave of their hand. And this is their attitude toward, uh, toward lady wisdom, toward God's wisdom. And as we'll see in just a, a moment, the old saying is, he, uh, he who laughs last uh, laughs best. And that is going to happen and always happens in the scorner's life because God's wisdom is still wisdom. It is always wisdom. It never ceases to be wisdom. Uh, no matter uh, 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 whether it is scorned by a culture or scorned by an individual. I, I like the old saying that uh, facts are stubborn things, and they are. Uh, but God's wisdom is every bit as stubborn uh, as, as facts as well. There's a third group that Lady Wisdom in verse 22 uh, has broad experience with that she wants us to know in terms of resistance to her message, and she declares it's the fool, fools who hate uh, knowledge. So here you have a group of people, they're not ignorant of God's knowledge, they're not ignorant of God's wisdom, but they hate it because it disrupts the literally foolish, stupid, thick-headed life they want to live. That's what the word foolish means. Now that may be offensive to uh, some people. It is not offensive to me at all. Because apart from God's wisdom, I am foolish and stupid and thick-headed. And I assume that you, apart from God's wisdom, are the same thing. And actually, a little bit more so, if I might say. <laughs> Listen, if wisdom is not going to be direct with us, then it will, it will never get our attention. And, and this is t the endeavor to wake these three groups of people up, whether they existed 3,000 years ago, or whether they sit in this room here today, or wherever they might be in the world, and in the privacy of our own uh, hearts. So here's a group that says, my mind is made up, don't confuse me with the facts. You notice in verse 23, her instruction and her offer to all three groups, to the ignorant, uh, to the arrogant, and, and to the foolish. Her instruction is, turn at my rebuke. She, she calls on them to repent of their life of moral ignorance, if the shoe if the shoe fits moral arrogance if the shoe fits or moral stupidity and to allow her to lead them into a life of wisdom and she doesn't put them in a headlock she doesn't force them she doesn't hit them with some kind of a laser because living a wise life must always begin with a person's individual desire to live a life that is wise. And so she knows all she can do is lead the horse to water, but she can't make that horse drink. And so, but lead the horse to the water, uh, she does. And so it all starts with repentance. And repentance is just simply 
having a change of mind about something, having a change of mind that produces, causes me to move in a different direction, a change of direction in my life. And that's what she calls all of us to in this room, to stop and to examine the lives that we're living, the wisdom. We all live under somebody's wisdom. The wisdom that we're operating our life by and then asking ourselves uh, whether it is worthy uh, of of being followed, or do I look at it and I say, I have a change of mind about the wisdom that I operate under, and I'm going to make a change of direction in my life as a result to God's uh, wisdom. And so to ask ourselves that this morning. You think about sometimes you'll get three or four or five friends that uh, guys that know each other pretty well, and uh, one of them, they're friends, and one of them will say something uh, brutish. That's, uh, that's Old King James for stupid. In the New King James, they actually translate it stupid. And uh, that'll be the next casualty of some movement. But it, They'll say, one of us will say something stupid about what we've done or what we're doing or the decision we've made and what, and everybody in the group can see that it's a really dumb move. And then somebody will speak up and they'll ask the question, how's that working out for you? And, and it doesn't work out well. And that's what Lady Wisdom is ta- talking about here. Look at your wisdom and ask yourself, how is that working out for you? And uh, in, in a desire uh, to get us to come to her and her offer, uh, as she declares it, is surely I will pour my spirit out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. And, and that is, uh, again, to impart her wisdom. She promises to impart her wisdom into our lives and, and to lead us into a life that's marked by wisdom. The point is this. Not one single human being in this world needs to uh, live a life without wisdom, to fail to live a wise life as God defines uh, wisdom. Now her warning concerning the consequences of refusing her offer. So she makes the offer, but she doesn't force. But she wants us to know You can say no to this, but there are consequences to saying no to the wisdom that I offer. And so, after her long and repeated uh, 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 attempts in people's lives to get their attention, to call them to wisdom, and, and now her wisdom is in verses 24 and 25, uh, that her wisdom is refused. They refused her call, verse 24. Uh, Verse 24, they show no regard uh, to her outstretched arm uh, endeavoring to rescue uh, uh, them. Uh, They disdain, verse 25, her counsel. Uh, They'll have nothing to do with her uh, rebuke. And you think about what an insult this is to Lady Wisdom, what an insult it is uh, to God. God doesn't need to call uh, us to his wisdom. He doesn't even need to provide his wisdom to us. But he does, and he did. 
He doesn't even need to bother to call us to live in His wisdom. But he, He does. And He doesn't need to stretch out His arms to rescue us, but He does. And then to have all of that disdained, and then to be treated as, as uh, the world does so often, as something that's unworthy of being even given the slightest attention, the insult that that is to God. The United States is not the center of the universe. This earth is not the center of the universe. Heaven is the center of the universe. And we should never conclude or come to a conclusion about anything in life on the basis of how it's viewed in the United States or how it's viewed in the whole wide world, but how is it viewed in heaven? And these kind of responses by man to God's wisdom are appalling insults to God. And any sane person in the world works very hard not to insult another person in life. Because when you insult people, there are usually consequences to that. And consequences that you would want to avoid. And how much more to be careful about uh, insulting God in showing care not to do that. But that's not the condition of the world by and large. You notice the result she lays out in verses 26 and 27 uh, in earnest in terms of the consequences of rejecting her. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, then uh, when distress and anguish come upon you. And so when calamity comes upon the scorner uh, of God's wisdom in life and uh, t- upon the indifferent toward God's wisdom uh, in, in life, those who have I can't be bothered attitude toward God's wisdom uh, in life, and calamity always comes to such a life whether the calamity that results from the foolishness or the false wisdom that a person has given them their lives to as opposed to God's wisdom, or just the calamities that come upon all of us in life just because we live in a fallen uh, world. But calamities come. And without wisdom, we are unprepared for those calamities. And the person that is in those three shoes, the simple, the uneducated, uh, the fool, the scorner, when calamity comes, whatever its, form, whatever its source, they are left unprepared for it. And when that happens, Lady Wisdom, we're told, will laugh. And you notice it's not God who will laugh here, but it's His wisdom personified in Lady Wisdom. The point is, is that at that point, the roles will be reversed. And so they had scorned at God's wisdom, and then now God's wisdom will laugh at them. Uh, That is, God's wisdom will have the final laugh in life. It'll have the final say in any situation or life, not man's wisdom. And that is that God's wisdom will prevail over everything in life, 
not human wisdom, not man's wisdom. And in the eyes of wisdom here, as she's presented, it is knowing what she offers to mankind, the perfection of this wisdom. It is laughable to her to, uh, that God's wisdom would be dismissed by man and laughable the wisdom, what God's wisdom is rejected for. And so you look at that avalanche of words that fill those verses, calamity, terror, uh, destruction, distress, anguish, and all of it communicating that the wisdom that we choose to live by in life is life and death important. And the truth of this is no secret. We see it in every newspaper that's printed every day or every newscast that is put uh, forth on, on the television or by, uh, by other uh, uh, means. Uh, that what comes upon uh, human lives on a daily basis because of the rejection of God's wisdom. And wisdom speaks very, very strongly here. Those are strong words. But she's trying to get our attention. Trying to get us to turn to God's wisdom if we haven't done so yet in life. Or we haven't done so yet in the course of even this sermon. You notice in verses 28 and 29 that wisdom warns that there comes a point in ignoring her where it becomes too late to avoid the consequences for having ignored her. This is not talking about salvation. It's never too late to be saved. It's not talking about the forgiveness of sins. It's never too late to be forgiven of our uh, sins. It's talking about the consequences of sin in our uh, lives. When the things God's wisdom intends to protect us from in life, the bankruptcy, the sexually transmitted disease, the fried brain, the overdose, the addictions, because of our rejection of God's wisdom, they then become a part of our lives. And making the point concerning God's wisdom that while we are free to choose, we are not free to choose the results uh, of our choosing. And so when wisdom declares in verse 28, they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. That is previously, she had talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and warned and warned and warned and reached out her hand and reached out her hand and reached out her hand, but they weren't willing to listen. Now they're ready to listen, but it's too late for her work of protection in their life, in that particular consequence that she intended to protect them from. And then worst of all, having to live with the knowledge that this calamity has become a part of my life, not because of some flaw in God's wisdom, or, but because of my own foolish hostility toward His knowledge and my lack of respect uh, for God. And they'll come to realize it too late. 
And what Lady Wisdom is talking, is warning us here, is that life is, it, 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 life is a life and death. It's dangerous. It's a, big, it's a big deal. It's not a game. And then you notice in verse 31, very, very soberingly, I mean, if you say, as if it couldn't get any more sober than it is, wisdom declares they will eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. Notice that, that phrase again. They will, be, they will eat the fruit of their own way. That's a, a way of saying what we know more familiarly in, our, 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 uh, in terms of our life and in terms we use. They will reap what they have sown. And whatever wisdom we sow into our lives, it will produce a harvest that we're going to reap for good or for bad, but we all uh, reap what it is that we sow and the wisdom specifically that we live by and we sow uh, into our lives. There is no escaping that in life. And here I think we encounter one of the most important uh, understandings concerning biblical uh, wisdom, as it's found in the entire Bible, but also as it's found here in the book of Proverbs. You notice that Lady Wisdom is speaking here, and she's speaking concerning the consequences of living a life of rejecting God's wisdom, and then living for a wisdom that is contrary to God's. And what she's stating here is that there is a natural law of retribution. There is a natural law of punishment that is in force in all of creation that acts and operates independent of God's active uh, judgment and that God has created all of His creation with certain laws in operation within it. And laws that if we cooperate with those, uh, uh, those laws, our life is blessed. If we try to resist those laws, we become a casualty uh, of, of those, those laws. We will experience hardship and judgment, uh, the judgment of those laws. For instance, there are physical laws at work in the world. So you've got gravity, you've got four seasons to uh, a, a year, uh, and and uh, uh, you've got ocean currents and tides, you've got laws of physics, you've got laws of, of, of chemistry, but if we choose to violate the law of gravity, if we choose to violate the law of sowing in the spring and then reaping in the fall and we decide uh, that that's no good, we're going to sow in the fall and reap in the spring, then we only end up injuring ourselves. These laws must be respected. These physical laws built into the creation, they must be respected and obeyed or life will become impossible. And all of this, Lady Wisdom is saying, is also true of the moral laws that God has built into His creation. Laws like we find in the book uh, of Proverbs. And there are many, many verses that I could quote from the Bible uh, to uh, lay a bit of a, a biblical foundation for what I'm, I'm laying out here. But let me, allow me just to, to, to quote 
uh, four of them, that law of natural uh, retribution, uh, quite apart from, from God's active judgment and that it is at work in His creation. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. That is, the consequences of his backsliding will constitute its own punishment for his backsliding. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 19 makes the same point to the children of Israel. Your own wickedness will correct you and your backsliding will rebuke you. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22, His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his own sin. And then most famously of all in the Bible, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And then he moves it, as a truth into the moral realm. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so it points clearly to our moral and spiritual sowing and reaping of a person in life. And as with the physical creation, if we choose to live a life that cooperates with the moral laws that God has built into us and into His creation, we will experience blessing. And if we choose to live our lives in violation of, uh, of those laws, I will experience hardship and punishment uh, and the hardship and punishment of those laws, quite apart from the active judgment of God. Again, in the form of sexually transmitted disease associated with sexual immorality. The crushing emotional and mental weight and the physical toll that is taken comes upon a person who chooses to live a life of jealousy and envy. Uh, the hangover or uh, the disease of the liver that's associated with drunkenness, the isolation that comes to mark a man or a woman who decides to live under the wisdom of anger or under uh, the wisdom of wrath, to say nothing of the prison or the jail sentence that comes to mark that kind of wisdom so uh, often as well. The moral law is no more neutral in the moral realm than gravity is in the physical realm. Man has been created by God to function a certain way within God's creation. And the simple man lives in ignorance of this and is forced to then learn from the school of hard knocks. And the scorner of the, and the fool uh, refuses to acknowledge it or to accept it. And they're destined to then become emotional, mental, physical, uh, spiritual casualties of their rebellion. And in a very real sense, if a person is determined to live in rebellion to God's wisdom, he comes up against creation's punishment 
long before he ever comes up against God or comes up against God's active judgment upon his life. To try to live, God, live life independent of God's wisdom isn't merely to attempt to live a life of resistance against God. It is an endeavor to live my life against the stream and the flow of the entire creation around me. Now, who in the world can be successful in that kind of a life? And that's why throughout all of human history, no matter how rebellious mankind gets, no matter how uh, wicked it gets, and how rebellion, uh, rebellious against God's wisdom, it always resets back to God's wisdom. It always resets back to His wisdom, as is revealed in this book. And that kind of rebellion against God's wisdom always collapses under its own weight. Sin carries the seeds of its own destruction. It will destroy itself, left unhindered in a human life or in the world itself. And because God has created the world, including mankind, to live a certain way, uh, and, and any other way ultimately and inevitably fails, things must reset back to God's wisdom, and then the cycle begins all over again in human history. But the end is never in doubt. The end is never in doubt about which wisdom is going to ultimately prevail, and it is God's wisdom. E. Stanley Jones, a very famous missionary to India, he wrote a daily devotional. It's one of my favorites. And, and he drives home this point here in such an encouraging and enlightening way. And, and his, his, um, his devotional, and I highly recommend it, is appropriately entitled, The Way. And, uh, and he drives home this point that there is a way to live life, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, physically, that not only puts us in a right relationship with God first and foremost, but it puts us in a right relationship with everything uh, that uh, is within creation and people around us. And conversely, he declares that just as there is a, the way, there is also not the way. They both exist. And uh, a path that most people pay a terrible price to walk and usually they walk it un, uh, 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 usually unrecognized the price that, that they pay to be on that path. And I think that that devotional uh, is very, very good, not only for the, the person who isn't a Christian yet, but so great for the Christian to realize the, the, the scope, the beauty, the depth, the perfection, the minuteness of God's wisdom and how it applies to life, it will make you dance around in your study or wherever you have your quiet time and just thank God for His wisdom 
and the privilege of being able uh, to live it. And so that point that there is a, uh, in this world, there's a way to live and a way not to live built right into the creation. And, and that is a wonderful, wonderful truth to realize as long as we're on the right side of it. And none of us needs to be on the wrong side of it. And then in verse 32, he emphasizes the dangers of remaining simple or remaining complacent about God's wisdom. He said, the turning of the, away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Pick up any newspaper you want to on any given day in any part of the world and you can clip out 20 articles to confirm the truth of that. And then the chapter closes with wisdom's promise to anyone who will heed her wisdom, the fruit of following her wisdom, verse 33. They will dwell safely. They will be secure. They will be without the fear of evil. And when the calamities come in our life, and they come, and when the storms come into our life, and they come in this fallen world, what immediately becomes the three most prized things in life. What do we want most? Safety, security, and then to be without fear. That is, without a fear of the consequences of evil due to having unwisely lived my life contrary to God's wisdom and having all of those things come down on my head. In other words, he's talking about godly confidence. And there's nothing like a great trial or difficulty or calamity coming into our life. And to not only have safety and not only to have security, but to know that in the midst of all of this, I know I'm right with God. I know I have not been perfect, but I have endeavored to build my life upon His Word and His wisdom and as Jesus taught, that provides us with a foundation. And I will be found standing after this storm. And how priceless is that confidence in the midst of, uh, of those kind of storms. And wisdom provides it uh, to us. And so here you have this beautiful, beautiful, strong, sobering uh, passage of Scripture related to uh, wisdom the offer of wisdom, the beauty of it, the promises of it, and then the terrible price that we hardly need any preaching on it at all. I, don't, I, said, I didn't illustrate it through the sermon hardly because there's no need to do it. We see it around us all of, of the time, the casualties of man's wisdom or our own uh, wisdom. And so if you're here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, the single wisest thing that you can do today is to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's where this wisdom begins for you. And then the God's Holy Spirit comes into your life. You are born again into the relationship with God that you have been created for. And now you are put on the path where this wisdom will now uh, come to mark your life and all of the blessings that God intends to characterize your life from His wisdom. And if you have never done that before in your life, there are going to be pastors and men and women up in front immediately after the service 
They'd love to pray with you to do exactly that. If you need prayer for anything in your life this morning, they'd love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Well, it comes to my mind, Judy Collins' song, I've looked at clouds from both sides now from win and lose. And most of us, as we read this, we've been on both sides of your wisdom. We know the truth of the terrible price that is paid. To be ignorant of it or arrogant toward it or content to live apart from it. And then we know the incredible safety and sense of security and fulfillment and blessing and peace that is found in living in your wisdom. We thank you for the wisdom for salvation that you have provided to us in your Son. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for making a way for us to enter into not only wisdom that you have provided us on the pages of Scripture, but to then be able to enjoy a personal relationship with you and experience these things in fellowship with you, the one that we've been created to have a relationship with. Thank you for those of us who know you and came to know you later in life. Thank you for continuing to speak your wisdom to us. Thank you for continuing to hold out your hand Thank you for warning and warning and warning until we woke up and were willing to enter into it. We give you praise for the glory of your grace within our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.